I enjoyed helping people out and raising money for deals. You spend a lot of time educating people and helping people understand what is involved. And I really did enjoy that part of it. I also realized that I didn't enjoy a lot of the operational parts of it, of the business where, you know, keeping track of budgets, making sure the property management are doing what they're supposed to be doing, just keeping to the plan. A lot of detailed work I didn't enjoy. And I did it, and I'm still doing some of it on the last property that we have that we haven't sold yet, but it isn't my favorite thing. And when something isn't your favorite, when you don't really enjoy it, you don't do it as well as, as you would if you really love doing it. Your network is your net worth. Come listen to some of the most successful people I know. Share invaluable knowledge, stories, and advice in real estate, business, and beyond. This is Weiss Advice. Whether you want to take your business or personal life to the next level, look no further. Welcome back to another episode of Weiss Advice. I am your host, Yona Weiss. Excited to be here on another wonderful day with Jeff Greenberg. Welcome to the show. How are you doing, Jeff? Well, thank you for having me. I am excited to get started. This is great. Yeah, I love having guests on the show and love having guests that I know. And I'm a poet and I didn't know it. But we've known <laughs> we've known each other for quite a number of years. In fact, I came across you on Bigger Pockets when I first got started in real estate like six, seven years ago. And we got connected through that originally. And we worked together a few years. And there you go. And we have. That's exactly yes. right. So for our listeners who don't know who Jeff Greenberg is, you are the CEO of Synergetic Investment Group. And I have to tell you something that one of the reasons why I was like drawn to you originally at Bigger Pockets was that name because I had, is it, maybe people know this from listening to previous episodes on the show, but I was actually part of a, a real estate company called Synergy Real Estate. And I was like really blown away by the whole concept, the seven habits. And then reached out to this guy who was running the company, we ended up becoming partners and didn't last too long, but it was still great. And so I was Shortly after that came across, he was like, wow, someone else with the name Synergy and his company name, someone I got to get to know. So here we are many years later. But why don't you tell us a little bit background? You've been in the game for many years, seen a lot, and would love for our listeners to get to know you. Yeah, I call myself a recovering syndicator. I've been syndicating. I was learning syndication since about 2007. Didn't really buy our first property until 2010. But I've been syndicating all of those years and then more recently decided that I would rather be just on the equity side, raising funds and helping new investors get into quality investments and not have all the operational responsibilities and improving my quality of life and enjoying the, enjoying my time. That's awesome. I want to get in because you call yourself a recovering syndicator. A lot of people out there are aspiring syndicators, but clearly you found your niche. You found the thing after doing everything, right? And I know you've managed, you know, multifamily. I know you did some student housing. So you've gone through a lot of different areas within the syndication world. Like, how did you come to realize that, yeah, my expertise and my skills are really most suited for just the equity side? 
Well, I always enjoyed the educational side of things. I did that when I was in the tech business. I did a lot of educational staff trainings and things, and I enjoyed helping people out. And raising money for deals, you spend a lot of time educating people and helping people understand what is involved. And I really did enjoy that part of it. I also realized that didn't enjoy a lot of the operational parts of it, of the business where, you know, keeping track of budgets, making sure the property management are doing what they're supposed to be doing, just keeping to the plan. A lot of detailed work I didn't enjoy and I did it and I'm still doing some of it on the last property that we have that we haven't sold yet, but it isn't my favorite thing. And when something isn't your favorite, when you don't really enjoy it, you don't do it as well as as you would if you really love doing it. Right. So that was part of it. But what pushed me over the edge was on the last big property we had, it was 225 units. We brought on a lady that was going to do our asset management and she didn't want to be an employee. She wanted to be part of the GP. So we actually brought her into the GP team. Mm-hmm. And I just loved having her come and give us reports and to conduct meetings and talking to the property management. And I'm sitting there, this is the way to go. Having somebody else doing all of that work that she was great at. And so that just kind of pushed me over the edge. I said, I'm not acquiring another property that I have the responsibilities of. But on the other hand, I would love to invest in properties that she was in charge of. Right. And so since then I've raised for two of her, two of her deals and I'll raise again for her because I know how she works and how great she is at operations. Yeah. So now I just look for more people like her. <laughs> I need more people like her that do a great job of running the deals and I help investors get into those deals. That's awesome. And she is great. I actually know what you're talking about, I think, but <laughs> she is awesome. And there are many other amazing people like that. And it's when you find someone who loves the business side and the asset management side of things, that really opens up the opportunity for someone like yourself, who is good at the education, at the equity raising side of the business, just makes life so much easier. So now that you're kind of transitioned into, and I'd love for you to really talk a little more in, in more depth about what that means to transition to being just an equity raiser, creating a fund that allows investors to you know go into separate deals. Like, how are you, how has that changed like your day to day? It changes it quite a bit. I have two tracks that I'm always working on. One is always looking for new investors to help educate investors and to bring them in. And then the other track is finding good quality deal sponsors and then looking at their deals. I always look at the sponsor first and then I look, you know, at the deal. It's a lot easier just to do those two tracks than it is to the multiple tracks that you have to do and the multiple hats you have to wear as the deal sponsor. Right. And so it, it allows me to focus on those two areas. Well, had you done any like partnerships in, in other GPs before that point? Because I know you had been doing a lot of your own deals as a syndicator, but I mean, it, se- it seems like this was like a no brainer at a certain point just to be like, okay. Other people, other team members can really handle this and do it even better than I can. Yeah, there's been many deals. I've had many different partners. For the first five years, I had a an exclusive partner that we worked with on several deals. 
and she decided to go a different direction. So we broke it up. And then since then, I've been partnered up with different people on different deals, different opportunities. For a while, I had a team that I had mentored. It was a a group that I had mentored and we became a group. We became a company essentially, and we did get a few deals. And the problem is when you train people, a lot of times they'll go different directions. Right. You know, there's the line that we talk about what's worse than training your people and having them leave is not training them and having them stay. (laughs) So they went off on their own thing and they're doing their own thing. And I didn't really feel like, you know, reforming a company and going through all of that felt that just coming in as a fund to fund with other people would be more what was of my interest. So for our listeners who may not be familiar with that kind of setup, a fund or a fund of funds, how does that actually work? And, you know, can anyone invest in something like that? Or you know, are there limitations? And I'm going to just throw a bunch of questions out here and just let you take it the way you want to take it. But, you know, how does that, the third question I was throwing there is like, how does that work from like a diversification you know, standpoint? Mm-hmm. Okay. First of all, let me, when people first think about a fund, you think mm-hmm. about one fund, you're in it. It may be run by the operator that it's going to only be their deals. And typically there's a criteria. It may be a very narrow criteria. It may be, you know, C-class properties in the Southeast or whatever, and very narrow. And it's only their deals. Mm-hmm. And that's one way of doing it. Another way is someone creating a, f- oh, let me back up. You're in every deal. Once you're in the fund, you're in every deal that's thrown into the fund. Then you have people that will create a fund that's going into other people's deals on a fund to fund. Now, again, in that case, you're in every deal that they bring into the fund. Now, you may be diversified across locations. You may be diversified across deal sponsors, Mm -hmm. but typically you're not going to be diversified as far as asset types because you start bringing all different asset types into your fund and some people may not like certain asset types and may not want to be involved. So you usually have a fairly narrow focus. Right. Now, the fund that I have that I'm doing is a diversified and customizable. So because it's customizable, because people can pick and choose which opportunities they want to get into, it opens up the possibility for me to diversify amongst not just deal sponsors, not but just regions, but opportunity types. Mm-hmm. I could go get mobile home parks, RV parks, self-storage, put all those things in. And if people like a certain opportunity, they invest in that opportunity all within the same fund. Now, I also can put into the fund some opportunities that are high cash flow and maybe some that are better at capital appreciation and people can pick and choose. So they truly get to diversify into those opportunities that they like. And that's what got me excited about getting into this type of customizable fund is it opens up the ability to diversify as as much as I want without some people rejecting it and saying, oh, I don't like that, or I like this better or whatever. They can pick and choose which ones they want to get into. Wow. And so, I mean, it sounds like it's not just customizable. It sounds like it's like an ongoing customization or do they have to, do you have to have all of those potential properties up front beforehand? I'm a little just No, I'm confused I bring them in basically one at a time. One at a time, I'm bringing them in. If they're already in the fund, all they have to do is say, 
they sign a two-page document because they've already signed the PPM Mm -hmm. for the fund. They signed a two-page disclosure that gives them all the information about the particular deal. And they say, this is how much I want to invest. And then they do have to bring in new money because their money is committed to other opportunities. And boom, they're in. They do not have to sign another PPM, even though I do provide the PPM of the opportunity as a disclosure. So they get to read it, but they don't have to sign it. They just look at it. They look at the opportunity. If they're in, they're in and they go ahead and fund and we go from there. So it seems like almost too good to be true, right? I mean, this is the first time I've really heard such an explanation of that type of, obviously this is nothing new. It's just new to me and probably new to a lot of our listeners in terms of having that ability to create that kind of customization inside of a fund. Yeah. I I mean, I hadn't heard of it before as either. And it was very exciting because it allows me the opportunity to act quickly if I would like to, if I'm ready, you know, if I know the sponsor and I'm already vetted them, I could jump right in without having to form another LLC. I already have the one LLC. All I have to do is put it up on the portal and we could go in a day or two be, you know, starting to bring people in. Another thing that I love about this is typically if I was going to do a fund-to-fund model, basically a single-purpose vehicle, which is essentially an LLC investing in somebody else's deal, it takes a while. You got to get the PPM going. You got to form the LLC, all this stuff. And not only that, there's costs involved. Sure. The advantage that we have is I don't have any additional costs. I could add all kinds of little deals. I could add all kinds of deals in there and let people know, say, here, you want to get into this hard money loan? We need $100,000. Who wants to throw in 10000 each? You know, And get into these smaller deals that are maybe a six-month deal, mm-hmm. and it doesn't cost me anything to go and bring that up. I certainly couldn't do that if I was going to form a new LLC and needed a new PPM. So we're, look- we're looking to do smaller stuff as well. That, yeah. Well, I imagine you mentioned, obviously, to set up something new, there's obviously additional costs involved in that. I imagine there's probably some additional costs in setting something like this up in, in the first place, or is that some, you know, kind of similar one with involved with that? It's certainly not much more than you would for a normal LLC. You're going to have your PPM, which you get mm-hmm. your SEC attorney set up. And then there, of course, you've got your normal portal fees, which you have. And the more money you have under management, you know, the portal sheet goes up. But other than that, there's not that much in the way of fees above and beyond what it would cost you to set up a normal LLC to invest. That's great to know. Really great to hear. And the other thing is, is I like to invest on the LP side because mm-hmm. typically if you go in as a co-GP, a lot of people do that where they go into co-GP and the investors go directly into the deal which means now all of your investors are exposed to that deal sponsor and now they could go and market to them. Mm -hmm. But in addition to it, to stay compliant, there's other responsibilities that I would have to take on as a co-GP in order to say, stay SEC compliant. Well, in this, we're just an LLC coming in on the LP side, limited partner side, and we have no additional responsibilities to that entity. Yeah. And that's great. I love that that ability to kind of have that freedom to to go on that. And I'm sure you, you know when you're investing as an L, LP in a larger syndication, oftentimes they're going to give more favorable terms when you're coming in with a larger check size 
which you have the advantage of doing that within the fund itself. Exactly. And that's what we try to do is if we're coming in on a large, with a large amount of money, we negotiate terms for the fund. And mm-hmm. so we can get our investors the same or better than if they went directly in. But in addition, the advantage they have is one, they have us doing all the work, vetting, vetting the deals and vetting the sponsors for them and finding these deals, which a lot of investors have difficulty doing. Also, if there's questions or problems, we carry a bigger stick that the sponsors are going to answer us. You know, if we're bringing in a couple million dollars, they're going to respond to us a lot faster than they might somebody that brought in 50K. Right. And you're more sophisticated because you can, you've had the experience and you, you know, when to ask the right questions at the right times, because you've been on both sides of the, both sides of the ship. Exactly. And I'm going to be, you know, I could field a lot of the questions without having to go to the sponsor to, to relay it to them. So Mm -hmm. I can head off a lot of the questions, which helps out the sponsor. And if it's something that, that I don't have an answer for, then certainly I can go to the sponsor for the investor. 100%. So you mentioned earlier that you're, you know, within this fund that you're creating, you know, putting multifamily, put mobile home parks, RV parks, storage, a lot of different diversification there, which is great. I'm curious to know, like, how you have been able to find or, or be exposed to these other asset classes. I know for many years you were involved in multifamily and that was kind of like the bread and butter for a lot of people. But I mean, is it changes in the economy? Is it changes in the markets that's leading you to these other types of asset classes or just, or just pure diversification? Well, I've always wanted to go to a lot of the other asset classes, but yeah, the market right now is a concern. And so a lot of people are looking for uh, more in the way of cash flow, which right now you're not seeing a lot of that in multifamily. Multifamily, you may still get decent returns, probably not in the two and three years that we've been able to do over the last 10 years, it may take five or seven to get a lot of those returns. And a lot of people are looking for cash flow. So by diversifying some of these other areas, we're looking to get a higher cash flow and maybe not as much capital appreciation at the end, but still overall, you know, good investments. Yeah. I think people have been spoiled. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. You're absolutely right. And a lot of deal sponsors have thought that they were geniuses over the years because they've been able to give phenomenal returns. And, you know, some people, some of the underwriting that I look at, I'm concerned. Mm -hmm. I'm very concerned about some of the underwriting. And that's why I'm very picky about who I work with. So how do you, you know, just kind of transition to that. How do you actually find those people that you do work with in terms of identifying them or or vetting them? It usually takes me time. And as the case of with Ashley is I've worked with her for several years. I've got others that I was in masterminds with that I know them. I've known them for three or four years. And so mm-hmm. I've invested with them. Some of the other ones, it takes me a little time to get to know them. I want to know their business. I'll probably go visit their office. I want to find out a lot more about them, talk to some of their investors, talk to some of their vendors, maybe the property management company. You know, it does take me a while to feel very comfortable with, with people, but it's, it's time. And, you know, I spend a lot of time doing that. Have you ever had any deals or any sponsors that you were 
you know, would never invest with again. I mean, everyone's had bad deals for some extent or another, but you having been through the market for, for as long as you have, I'm curious if you've had any of those experiences you can share. Not as my fund, but individually, yeah. I have. There's one gentleman that I invested with who's spending six years in jail right now. And I was hesitant with about investing with him years ago. And of course, I was right. And I shouldn't have, but that was my money. And, you know, I looked at the dollar signs and I said, wow, we could make a great return in 18 months. And we're now into six years, still waiting to see if we get any money back. But yeah, there's a few. There's other people that I've seen underwriting that I didn't invest with because I didn't like their underwriting. Mm -hmm. I'll look at underwriting and there's, if they're making choices or assumptions that I don't agree with, I don't like. You know, I may never look at any other stuff again. It makes sense. I mean, it really just takes, you know, it takes one little thing to kind of put up a red flag and that's enough because it's much harder to, you know, to win back that type of trust when, you know, something like that kind of sets off a red flag. Yeah. And I do have the advantage, you know, in the multifamily student housing area that I've been there and I've done that. And so it's much easier when I go into the other areas. I have to dig a lot deeper for the expertise on some of those other asset types. Yeah, of course. And that takes time. But, you know, thankfully, like you said, you've been as part of masterminds, you've been part of these groups. So I'm sure you have a lot of other people who you can call upon who I'm sure have had much more exposure or experience to these types of assets. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, Jeff, I'd love to transition now to what we call the final four. You know, time flies on the Weiss Advice podcast, but. First question for you is, what is the worst job that you ever had? The worst job, I don't know if it was the job that was so bad, but I'd worked for Parks and Rec a year ago, but it was the boss. It was the worst. So it wasn't a bad job. It was just working for this particular person yeah. that just made you dread wanting to go to work. And that, you know, that often doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. was, that was enough. Well, you know, thankfully, you don't have to work at the Parks and Rec anymore. I'm sure that was some years ago. So that, that was quite a few years. Okay. Second question for you. What's a book you've read that's given you a paradigm shift? Well, I have to say the cash flow quadrant. I mean, of course, everybody's saying the rich dad, poor dad, because that was important too. But the cash flow quadrant definitely gave me a look at being a W-2 employee and, you know, being a business owner or being an investor, it just really kind of laid it out for me that I never, never really thought of. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I grew up with the whole attitude, you know, you go to school, you go to college, you get a good job, you work forever at that same job and, you know, you retire, you know? So I had no clue that there was another world out there. And how long, just curious, how long, you know, were you working? before you actually came across these concepts and then the light bulb went off? Uh, it was a long time. I mean, I was probably in workforce, what, 40, 45 years. I didn't start real estate until I was in my mid fifties. Wow. So it was a long time. My brother was an entrepreneur and, you know, I always thought he was going to be the first millionaire in the family, but he's had his issues. But I never really looked at it as being an entrepreneur. I had a family, I had kids, and I felt that a W-2 job was security. Mm -hmm. As the majority of America and society agrees with, or I think just for lack of education, lack of better, you know, better knowledge. And 
you know, kudos to Rich Dad Poor Dad for bringing to light so much, you know, to millions of people that that otherwise would have not known anything. Absolutely. You know, I, I gave kudos to my brother, but that's because he couldn't work for anybody. Right. He couldn't abide by working for anybody. So he had to be an entrepreneur. Yeah. By, yeah. <laughs> by default. Uh -huh. By default. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, so Jeff, the third question is what is a skill or talent that you would like to learn? And this could be anything. I could say that I wish I was better at time management. That would be probably one of my, one skill that I find that I do have some difficult difficulty with. I've done a lot of other things that I really enjoy doing quite a bit. I wouldn't mind flying someday, being a pilot. I mean, I've flown in other people's little private planes and wouldn't mind doing that, but I haven't really pursued it. Well, listen, there's still time. Yeah, all there, oh, there <laughs> is. There's plenty of time. Plenty of people, plenty of people flying. We've actually had a few people on the show mention that. It's quite interesting. Flying a plane is a good one. Obviously, we have our friend Brian Burke. He's been doing that since he was in high school. But Yeah, I know Brian. I've known Brian for quite a few years. He's a great guy. And fourth and final question, Jeff, what does success mean to you? Success to me is having time to share with my kids and grandkids, being able to do things without worrying about how much the check is going to be. Just having the opportunity, I'm taking the family, we're going skiing in February and I'm going to, you know, write a big check so everybody else can enjoy themselves and not worry about how much it's going to cost. I'd like to do some more traveling. I'd like to be able to travel with my kids and grandkids and not have to worry about, you know, what the costs are. Yeah, that's awesome. That's, that's success to me. You know, it really is. It allows you to have that freedom and give the, you know, others something that they would, you know, Sometimes these things are stressful. People think about how am I going to pay for a vacation, especially others who are, whether they're entrepreneurs or in W-2s and to kind of have fixed budgets and hard to have life experiences when you are limited. And so that's one of the advantages of being financially free or independent is having the ability to do stuff like that. So good for you. Yeah. We're all, we all have the same amount of time. Yeah. I mean, some of us may be at the farther end of our timeline, but still. You know, when you look at it and say how much time you have, you know, what, you know, I want to spend my time and enjoy it with my family. And that's, that's important. Awesome. Well, good to hear that. Jeff, last and finally, where can our listeners find you or reach out to you? Well, you could get me at Jeff at synergeticig.com. You go to my website, synergeticig.com. And also I have a little gift for your listeners. This is a book on questions to ask deal sponsors. Oh, if nice. you're looking to get into deals as a passive investment and you get that at sigcre.com slash sponsor, and it will help you out if you're looking at getting into passive investments. That's awesome. Oh, thank you for that. I appreciate that. And we'll make sure to put that in the show notes. Also, if anyone wants to check that out and S-I-G-C-R-E slash sponsor.com slash sponsors. So we'll make sure to put that in. And I really appreciate you coming out today and taking the time to educate us on the funds and all the fun that you're having because you put the fun in funds, Jeff. There you go. I like that. <laughs> I enjoy it. Uh, yep. Always awesome. having a good time. Very good. Well, thank you again for joining me. And to our listeners, thank you guys for listening all the way to the end once again. And remember, the best advice comes only when you ask. 
Real quick, I have one question for you. Did you like this episode? If you did, I wanna ask you a huge favor. See, the biggest thing that helps this podcast grow and that will spread this message to the whole world is that if you leave a review, a rating, and subscribe to the podcast. What that does is it basically tells the platforms that this podcast is out on is that you like my stuff and I'm doing something right. So take a few seconds out of your day, hit that subscribe button, leave a rating review. I would be extremely grateful. Also, I wanna hear from you guys. So I wanna hear some feedback. If you have any questions for future episodes, please find me on LinkedIn, send me a DM, a connection request, Yona Weiss, and I'd love to hear from you.